Welcome to the PEO podcast, where we interview industry leaders to discuss all things PEOs. From compliance to technology to client relations and everything in between. I'm your host, Andreas Toller. We continue to grow, continue to revise our processes, continue to hone how we interact with the customers in our community. And that's not always easy because their tastes change over time as well, where you have things happen that then reflect how you have to interact with them. Welcome to another episode of the PEO Podcast. Today, Andreas sits down for a special in-person interview at the PRISM HR Live Conference with PRISM's own Tim Pratt. They dive into data solutions, networking in the industry, and PRISM HR initiatives. Tim, thanks for, for coming and coming to the show and inviting me to your suite, suite here at the PRISM HR Live Conference. Yeah, excited to be here, Andreas. Thank you for, uh, for having me on the podcast. Excited to be here. We're in the middle of Prism HR Live, connecting with all of our customers here this week. So it's a it's been an exciting week. And I'm sure an exhausting week for you as well, right? <laughs> Hosting, you know, a lot of clients, right? Meeting with partners and whatnot. So thanks again for, for, for taking the time. So let's let's start off with, you know, you, we talked earlier about your LinkedIn profile and there was a station or two, right? In the, in the, in the PO world. How did you get started in the industry? And like, tell us a little bit about your, your career. Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. I've definitely had a, a few jobs. So it's interesting. I, I graduated college pretty young in, in Tampa and Tampa at Tampa, Sarasota, Bradenton market really is the, it's kind of the Silicon Valley of PEOs. You have some of the biggest ones in the country that are, that are located and headquartered there, have been in the past. And I graduated college, didn't have any experience. I had a degree in economics and a minor in human resources. And I'd been really unemployed for about six months looking for something to do. And a friend of mine came to me. She was a receptionist at an employee leasing company. And I said, well, I have no idea what employee leasing is. And she said, well, you know, why don't you come in interview and talk to my boss and let's see what happens. And I come in and I interview and uh, he throws all the other resumes away and he says, I'm going to hire you. And I said, well, I don't understand. Why are you going to hire me? And he says, because you're the only one with a college degree that's going to take minimum wage. So, which was terrific. And he was right. And I did. And I, you know, worked pretty hard in that job. Mm-hmm. And so the first day I came in and he brings me the stack of papers and he says, Hey, I need you to to sign and date all these. And I start signing and I'm signing and I'm signing and I'm signing. And then I start to read what the paperwork says. And it says under penalty of perjury of law, I've read uh, or I've looked at the above documents and it was an I-9. And I went to him and I said, hey, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this. And he said, <laughs> oh, that's standard for the industry. We always, always do this. And that was my first exposure, not just to the PEO industry, but kind of the underside of the PEO industry. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that happened you know, in the early years of unethical things that uh, that have happened. So it was kind of a, a crazy start. I only lasted about six months there and then I bounced around a little bit and then I spent four years at Selective HR Solutions in Bradenton that was mm-hmm. run by Rick Ratner and Ed Bongart. Rick Ratner is really one of the kind of one of the founders of the PEO industry. So it was great to learn under him and, and Joel Duncan. Ended up leaving there and then spent nearly nine years at Oasis where I started in the payroll area. That led into opportunities in underwriting and learning kind of the financial side of the business. I learned you know, mergers and acquisitions under Terry Mayotte, their CFO, which was a tremendous experience. Then I went back and ran operations at Oasis for a little while before moving on to Quesco. I was chief operating officer 
been CEO for a few years. And then when that concluded, I had an opportunity to come over to the tech side with Prism HR and started off just running the, the marketplace and really understanding, you know, what goes into these partnerships. At the time, we only had about 12 partners. That was four years ago. And now we're up to 60 partners. You can see like down on the floor, the, the floor is buzzing with all the different partners mm-hmm. and the customers. I mean, that's one of the fastest growing aspects of our business is how do you shin around the core product with things to help you customize and drive more efficiency. We have more partners than ever. And it's been terrific. So, so you mentioned in your career operations, M&A, finance, tech, partnership. Let me maybe ask you a little bit of an unfair question here. Sure. Where's your heart? Is there like one area where I would say like, this is where, you know, I really, that this is where my passion is, or would you characterize yourself more as a generalist? I would say at this point, I'm more of a generalist, but I will tell you that what I love is to make database decisions. Mm-hmm. And that's where you kind of see, okay, I have some economics background and I work in many aspects of, of the business. So now I do consider myself a generalist. Ultimately, at the end of the day, a PEO is a risk-taking entity and they're taking all sorts of risks. So when you're operating either a piece of that PEO or the entire PEO itself, you're constantly going through this calculus of risk-reward and everything you do from the customers you take on from, you know, maybe you have taken some risk and let a payroll going out the door without actually being paid for it yet because you knew that customer and you're taking risk on your workers' comp and you're staying on the phone. You're constantly making these calculation in your head around what is the risk reward you have to do that based on data and then you have to kind of meld that with some level of intuition so i look at myself as being a pretty good general manager and honing that decision making over the years and hopefully that's translated into you know helping all my colleagues at prism hr understand what the peo industry is all about and help us you know be a better software provider to the space it's interesting that the intersection of data and risk right you mentioned like there's always more data right there's always more questions we can ask and analyze about the risk and you kind of set like intuition or the gut feeling right like what is what is that intersection for you at what point do you say like hey we have now enough data to make a decision and like you know my intuition now needs to to govern here and and you know decide whether to go left or right. Yeah, it, you, you never have enough time to get a hundred percent of the information, so you'll be waiting a long time to make decisions if that's the case. I would say if I put a percentage on it, you know, I don't I don't shoot from the hip with thirty or forty percent of the data. Mm-hmm. I get in that comfort zone when you're between probably sixty and eighty percent of having the data because you also want to be able to move move quickly in making those decisions. And and you always want to give a little bit more time to those decisions that are irreversible. But how many mm-hmm. decisions do you make every day that are completely irreversible or are changeable in the future? So in that case, you have to make decisions quickly, move on. And if it doesn't work, then you got to move on to the next decision, keep you know keep iterating on, on that decision to get it right. And as long as you learn and move fast, that's okay. But if you're going to wait to get 100% of the information, you're just you're in analysis paralysis and that doesn't really work. 100%. Yeah. And I think it's it's about like great managers or leaders figure out like what are these decisions where you have to pause, right? right. And, and, you know, that could be critical for, for well, the organization. We produce some great tech. So, I, I mean, do you agree that you have to take this iterative process and, and fail fast? Yeah, I mean, like for us, it's off. I mean, I think you, you said it right in terms of like there are certain decisions that can kill the company. Right. Uh, you know, you think about 
security, you think about certain risk and whatnot. I think that that's where you just have to pause and and uh, and whatnot. But like you know how I think about oftentimes decision making, like these have to be educated bets sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Specifically as you're scaling up a company. And, and you will make four or five of these a year and maybe two or three uh, work out the way you want it to. And I think that has to be in the calculation, right? right? right. So I think that's, if you go into that with, with that expectation, right? And, you know, it's important, obviously, for the shareholders, right? Now, employees to understand why we're making certain decisions. And like, you know, as long as we are, have the right intention at the point of decision making, I think, you know, it's, it's all good. Good. So I want to go back to the early days of of your career. Maybe there's something like, you know, a surprising moment of war story along the way that maybe even like your your current team at PrismHR doesn't know about you, right? So I worked at a small company based in Palm Harbor, and I won't bring it to me. I talked a little bit about the first BR we got in the the underbelly and some of the unethical things that happened. Mm -hmm. So I ended up, excuse me, working at this small PEO in Palm Harbor, Florida. And we paid around gosh, 1,500 worksite employees, but the, the company was not, it, the PEO was the smaller the businesses. It was owned by a guy that had a day labor company. And Hurricane Katrina had just come through mm. New Orleans and Biloxi. And he had day labor offices up in those, those areas. So two days after that happened, he sent myself and another gentleman from our office up to the Biloxi area to go, quote unquote, sign people up and get them on the workers' comp. Mm. And the entire ride to Biloxi, this just made me really uncomfortable, where you start to really question your your kind of life choices. Like, do I want to work in a business that is setting this low of an ethical bar? Do I want to figure out how do I take this to the next level and start to, you know, I couldn't use that as a, as a measure of how I want my own ethics to be in the future. So I decided pretty quickly and pretty early on that I had to leave that. So mm-hmm. I came back and I think two weeks later, I quit that position to go find something else to do because that was just a totally untenable thing when you're being asked to do something that is, you know, absolutely unethical. So I, I just couldn't bring myself to really find much success. I didn't even talk to more than a handful of businesses while I was in Biloxi and came back about four days later. And, uh, but just a, you know, crazy time. And, and this sort of thing happened in the PEO industry. But a crazy ask as well, right? It's a crazy ask, um, right? But an interesting inflection point, right? For you to just say like, hey, this is not how I want to foster my career here, right? And to say, hey, I want to work with, with people who have the right moral campus, so, so to speak. I and I so and at that time when I left, I did something. I think this is more common today than it was back in the in the early two thousands. I made a list of employers that I actually wanted to work for, mm-hmm. and I knew in the PEO business, I wanted to stay in that business because I loved it. You know, sometimes you don't pick your your career; your career picks you. Mm-hmm. Once I got into this business. And I learned what an impact a PEO or any HR outsourcing company can have on all those employees. It's uh, it's pretty pretty tremendous. So you really you know learned what you liked and didn't like, and you're able to set that higher bar. And once you kind of start to gain that identity of who you are and what kind of leader you want to be, be pretty transformative. So I made this list of companies that I wanted to go work for, and Oasis Outsourcing was one of those. And in the early days of Oasis, and I say this was the early days, they'd already had 50,000 employees mm-hmm. by the time I got there, but they were leading with real ethical intention. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty important to me. They had a strong desire to be more obsessed, service obsessed around 
everything they did for their customers. And when you can find an organization with that type of purpose and that type of intention, it can really resonate to the core and you can find yourself in a career somewhere like that. So that really helped accelerate my career because I believed in the mission so much that helped me get into newer and newer positions along the way. I think I had probably seven or eight different titles along the way in about nine years there. So, so you entered Oasis when there were around 50,000 yeah. worksite employees, right? When you left the organization, at what scale was it? And like, tell us a little bit about that ride. Yeah, the, the, the ride was, was a little bit crazy. So when I left Oasis eight years ago, they were at 160,000 worksite employees. Mm -hmm. I had a front row seat to how you scale a business because at the time when I got there, we had about 150 employees. When I left, we were close to 600 employees. And at the time, that was the biggest business I had, I had worked in. And when you get that front row seat and you start to understand all of the drivers of the business, the, you know, how do you get new business? You now understand all the drivers of customer retention and what drives, you know, those small business owners to stay with you or think about leaving at the end of the year. You understand kind of the slipperiness of rate increases and your cost structure on your rates and, how all of that is a big recipe and there's a lot of decisions that have to be made to help scale that business up. But at the same time, all of your processes become different too. Mm -hmm. And 160,000, that's a lot different than 50,000. Mm -hmm. 50, so you need a whole different set of processes to be able to support those customers. So growth is painful. Mm -hmm. and, and that's probably the biggest lesson I learned. Everyone says, oh, well, you know, if we just did this, we'd feel better about it. Well, if you're a growing business, you're always in a very uncomfortable position. It makes employees uncomfortable too. I mean, we've seen that at, at Prism. We've grown Prism almost similarly. When I came to Prism four years ago, we had around 130 employees. Now we're knocking on the door 600 employees and you have to start to do things differently. And that makes it uncomfortable for people because they have to grow and either they're either keeping up with the change or they're leading the change. They're on one of those two sides of the the coin, but it means that we all have to continue to, to grow and change. Did you, for doing both of those um, opportunities, right, now with Prism and then at Oasis, during that tremendous growth, did you see certain inflection points where either employees opted out and said like, hey, this is not my organization anymore, what I want to do, or where you as the leader had to say like, you know, hey, now we need a a different kind of yeah, expertise or personnel here where you have to make certain changes? Yeah, you, you, it's an interesting question. So you go through that a lot where you see these inflection points. In, in, in the PEO space, you can almost define it as certain worksite employee thresholds mm -hmm. where you start to see that. Like you can, most PEO owners can get their PEO to about 5,000 5, employees. Mm -hmm. And then it starts to require a significantly bigger investment in the sales team in automation, in your technology to get from 5,000 to 10,000. Well, then you have to decide how much money you're willing to invest to go do that. The same thing is true at, at Prism HR. We, we continue to grow, continue to revise our processes, continue to hone how we interact with the customers in our community. And that's not always easy because their tastes change over time as well, where you have things happen that then reflect how you have to interact with them. And what I, what I mean by that is, you know, we had a cyber event last year. Mm -hmm. Well, we were down for four days for some of our customers. Some of our customers were only out for two and, and or anywhere in between. But then that has to change your approach to how you serve your customers after some of those inflection points. So it's not so much a growth in terms of scale, but growth in terms of the approach that you then have to take to, to satisfy and delight 
your customers along the way. And that, that's then going to be different after something that is, you know, creates a, such an inflection point. If we look at the, the PO level, right, you said like there are these certain inflection points. We discussed it before and like, you know, 5,000, 10,000, right? At one point you could scale. What typically, what have you seen with, with, you know, your clients, partners or whatnot that determines that growth? Is it the mindset of the founder? Is it the region where the PO is located? Is it external money that's coming in? What are kind of like the typical, criteria that determines where and not to say one is better than the other right you might have a you know as, a, as an owner you might have a po with five thousand worksite employees it's it's really run an engine that's running smoothly right and that might be exactly what that person wants right but i'm curious to see from your side what have you seen what what determines that growth curve so i think you have a couple of things at play when you're smaller you have this income effect happen where you're you build that thing to four or five thousand employees you're you know, the income before you start to pay owners is a million to a million and a half dollars mm -hmm. a year. Well, that's great money. Now, do you want to take half or three quarters of that million dollars and start to invest that in the hopes that you get bigger? Do you want to risk screwing up the company at that point? No. So you're not looking for growth per se in worksite employee account because that requires investment, but you do want to continue to drive growth of margin expansion sure. in a lot of different ways. So Profitability. Might, that's mm -hmm. right. You want to continue to improve the profitability of your existing customers. So you're still looking for some level of, of growth there, but you're not necessarily investing to go get more worksite employees. The, worksite, the new worksite employees you're bringing on are just replacing the ones that might be leaving due to, you know, maybe they're being acquired or maybe one or two out of business or something along those lines. So you have, you know, to grow and scale, and there are very few PEOs around this country that have done this, it requires a mindset of an owner to really invest in that growth. I've also found that it helps if you're just hyper competitive mm -hmm. because you don't, I don't see a lot of owners in this space that are wildly successful that have done so quietly. They hate to lose. They hate to lose more than the next group down. Like they really hate to lose. So they drive hard to win. And it's not at all costs, but they are driven to really, you know, find that next deal and to grow and to invest the right money into their products, into their program, into their service, be able to grow that, that business. And then if you, if you go in with that mindset, the growth can be unlimited. I mean, there are PEOs around this country that have a couple hundred thousand mm -hmm. worksite employees. Eventually someone's going to make it to a million. And I don't think we're too far off from that. And part of that might be through acquisition. Part of that is is going to have to be organic though. Mm -hmm. And to drive it organically, you have to have a very clear value proposition. And those that are going to be that competitive are going to find an avenue to be able to, to do that. That is super interesting about the mindset and the competitive nature of, of the people who are who are skating their business. I assume the, the other component might be at one point as a founder to move away from being the rainmaker to morph the architecture, right? The architect where you now plug in the right players to the right seats. But Tim, I want to go back to the earlier conversation, right? You mentioned, hey, we are at the Prism Life conference here. And, and my next question is, is relevant for this specific conference, but probably also for, for other conferences. Like, you know, we have about 600 people, 600 people here. What have you seen, you know, from the feedback over the years where people said like, hey, I really got value out of this, right? What is What are a couple of things that you recommend for participants that come, right, to the conferences strategically to do right, to really walk away from, from this week with, uh, with some takeaways? 
So I don't know what kind of formal feedback we're going to get at the end of this week. We're in the middle of it now. We always get, you know, most of our participants give us some sort of formal feedback. But so far, we're halfway through and I've gotten a lot of informal feedback. And people seem to take to the content this year. Mm. This year, we did something a little different. In the past, we've largely generalized sessions and it's some technology or some input from a one of our customers and sitting on a panel and it might be a little bit more general so this year we said hey we really have two different audiences that come to prism live the first audience are those people that are highly technical that want to learn more about how to use a platform and get the most out of it so let's get really specific in training so this year we actually launch four hands-on sessions. So we bring the device mm-hmm. and we do a hands-on and walk through, walk through a particular topic. The other side to that is we also invite all of the C-level folks from our customers, but we want to make sure they're getting value out of it. So, but they don't want to go and see how you, you know, get rid of errors when you're processing a payroll. Mm-hmm. So we tried to devise a group of more strategic topics for them around how to lower insurance costs within your PEO. That was a great topic with John Slavic talking about the economy this afternoon, mm-hmm. doing a, a panel about how you hedge inflation. We had a great, we had some great executive forum content yesterday with content designed to specifically speak to those CEOs and some of the challenges that they may have. And in yesterday's exec forum, we talked a lot about what that future is going to look like. We had Scott Klosowski been in and around the PEO industry for some time. And he was talking about the future and, and what challenges might exist and what PEO should be thinking about from that vantage point. So now we can sort of bifurcate, tailor the content to each of the two audiences. And I hope that that resonated this year. I hope that you know everyone that attended really felt like there was value in, in either side. And we don't specifically call them out in tracks per se, mm. but you can definitely tell there are very specialized technology level courses and how to's and then there are more general courses designed to be a little bit more strategic so so from the facilitator's perspective from the host like really t- trying to understand what are the personas so to speak that are coming to and like you know providing the right content and then i assume networking opportunities as well right like for people to you know it's obviously you want to provide content and whatnot networking and then people want to have some fun well, yeah, so there is no doubt about that. And we've had some great educational opportunities this week. We've also had some fun. I was great seeing you at the baseball game last night. And I know we have another event tonight, but the networking is amazing. So mm-hmm. I've been coming to Prism HR Live for, gosh, probably about seven years before I came to Prism HR. And the people you meet and the roles that they're in, every PEO is unique. And we know that. So Craig Babigian likes to say this, if you've seen one PEO, you've seen one PEO. We talked earlier this week about PEOs being like stars and just how unique they are with the product offering. So when you get a chance to interact with certain people and you try to understand their challenges, in some cases, you know, you might not be having the same challenge, but in other cases, you're like, oh my gosh, they've solved a problem that I haven't figured out how to solve. So that networking and just the conversations like that. I came back every year from Prism Live when I would go as a participant with a stack of business cards and a whole new network of people to actually talk to. And those people were people I could reach out to and say, hey, how do you do this in your business? Or is this a challenge for you? And then that extends well beyond the technology. It's like, hey, you know, I, I, you know, I need to look for someone that can help me with my cyber insurance or help me mm-hmm. with this particular particular workers' comp problem. You know, I know that you may have had that experience. Can you tell me who you might use? So the networking really 
starts to extend and creates this full network effect, which is tremendous. I love to see it. And that essentially helps everybody in the industry, That's right? right? So raise the bar for everybody. So what, what are the things like, you know, from the pure Prism HR perspective, right, that the organization now is focusing on? What, what are the big, big topics that you want to drive forward? So, so we're, we're investing. We're committed mm-hmm. to continuing to invest, to invest to give our customers the platform that they need to compete in the future. When I think about competing, there's two main areas. There's that margin expansion component, being much more efficient within the product. And then there's helping our customer win new business. Both of those are equally, equally important. So this started with talent. So we recently hired the president of product and technology, Kevin Andrews. Kevin came to us with a 20 year track record. He's been amazing. He's been on for about six months now. We've already made a lot of progress in the acceleration of our innovation. We've started with a new architecture for data access. Mm-hmm. And we have, we're right now in the middle of testing a new data warehouse product. Mobile is also continuing to play a bigger and bigger role. Just recently we rolled out our native mobile application. But now that in and of itself is good. There's an entire mobile strategy that we'll be executing on in the back half of the year to continue to make that make that better, give you know our customers the ability to communicate with their employees and message it. And that customize and all yeah, that. Customize yeah. it a little bit more. So, so mobile continues to be pretty, pretty hot. That's been demand from our customers for a long time. And now we're focusing on ASO. So ASO is another area that our customers have asked for for a long time. If you're, there are very few pure play PEOs left. What I mean by pure play is like, that's your only model. Most of our customers have started to delve into mm-hmm. non-co-employment types of relationships, which might be just being a pure payroll provider, or it might be, you know, this term that we made up in the PEO industry, ASO, administrative service offering, and try to do the payroll plus light HR, plus maybe you can do some insurance administration in certain respects, but you need a platform that gives you the flexibility that that's self-service so that your customer can serve themselves. So right now we've dedicated a team to build that engine to go after that particular market and really help our customers capitalize on driving some new business. Also on the tech side, we recently we recently had Dwayne Smith join us as Chief Information Security Officer. Mm-hmm. We consolidated our consolidating our security team under under Dwayne. We're making some further investments there on top of the large investments we made last year. And we're continuing to hire and bring in new talent because to your point about scale, you always have to be evaluating that talent and decide who can make the best the best decisions. I would say prior to Kevin joining, we had Gary, our CEO, that was breaking ties and making technology decisions. And you get to a point where you decide you have to make a, a different decision to bring someone in that can architect, you know, that that future from a technology perspective. And that might be, you know, that's not purely in Gary's wheelhouse right mm-hmm. there. So bringing someone in that has done that before really, really well. It's important to do has the expertise, has the, the background there. That's right. You mentioned that one of the, the biggest growth engines within the company is the marketplace, right? And the ecosystem. Yes. Tell us more about that. Tell us more about the growth and the strategy that, that, that you're executing. Sure. So we started four years ago when I got here, we had 12 marketplace partners. I remember that Prism HR Live. It, compared to what our marketplace looks like today, it was pretty, pretty sparse. But we've had a couple really nice long-term partners with hiring anything on the applicant tracking side, uh, <clears throat> talking about plus on the time and labor side. We built this out to about 60 partners over the last couple of years. It's really, we have a couple of tenants that are really important to us. First, we want to bring products and services into the marketplace that we know are bringing value to our customers. So we could just bring 
anyone into the marketplace, but we don't want to do that. So we want to bring in products and services that are that are meaningful. So I'll give you a, a great example. So last year, right before Prism Live in October, we had started talking with Pedisher mm-hmm. at discount products. And we didn't have a contract with them yet. And I wasn't even sure that this was this was going anywhere. And I meet with their vice president of sales, Sarah, and Sarah says, hey, I have five signed contracts from five of your customers. Do you think we should do a partnership? Yes, we should, because we can make that if you have PEOs already that value the product, that's great. Now yeah. I can layer in the technology piece. I know that I can make one plus one equal three. Mm-hmm. So we spend a lot of time betting, you know, betting these partnerships. Many of the ideas come from the customers themselves who say, hey, we want it, we need something in this category. Can you help us? And then we want to do a couple other things within the construct here. So it's important to us that our customers are getting the best possible price. So when we do these marketplace well, Andres, you know this. You're you're in our marketplace <laughs> and you're an offering, and our customer can't get a better price through you directly than without making this a, 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 a just a great integration. So you know they get that most favored nation price, and we try to negotiate on behalf of all of our customers to do that. We also have to continue to do more, and, and we've launched a few partnerships that are premature. And what I mean by premature is they're you know, we set up the integration, we test it in a vanilla instance, and it works. But then when you get into the real world and you start to implement the first couple, you know, they become challenges. More, more complex to you and I have talked mm-hmm. a lot about that, yeah. you know, since the inception of our partnership on, okay, now we come to the realization that we have to do more with uncovering API fields, or you need different data access points in order to get that really, really singing for, you know, for the PEI. We have to continue to work on that model to make sure that we can ramp that up faster in the future than we do today. Because right now there's a process. The process is just a little bit too slow. So we have to continue to work on that. But ultimately, it's about giving our customers value. So we're only going to do between 7 and 10 new partnerships a year. Our goal is not to inundate everyone with all these different marketplace partners. And we want to have just one or two in each category. So it's, it's, it's vetted, right? right. And it sounds like, you know, this now goes back to what you said earlier about the technology investments, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, some of those dollars will be deployed into, you know, whether it's access to data, whether it's connectivity or whatnot to, to make, you know, these partnerships even smoother. That's right. How do we continue? So, so the, the the next component to that is really UI UX and making sure that we get our entire platform looking a little bit more monolithic, easier to use from start to finish. And then we work with our partners who are integrating to get more of a monolithic experience through the entire process as well. By monolithic, you you want it to look and feel like Prism. You don't necessarily want it to look and feel like you know some other partner. Mm-hmm. The PEO has to make that look and feel that way for their clients. So that's really important. So that is a big piece of the strategy and the tactics over the next couple of years is that UI, UX, and making sure that there's a consistent look and feel. That's super interesting. Who do you, you know, whether that's from, from a PO perspective or marketplace, like who are kind of like the innovators in the market right now where you really see like, wow, these guys are doing some, some interesting stuff? I think there's a couple out there. The first one that I would say is doing a pretty tremendous job is Sequoia One out of San Francisco. Now they serve a very you know, in it's a very upmarket clientele that they have. They're dealing with Silicon Valley companies. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with sometimes well-funded startups, and they have to have a really, really tech-forward platform. So what they've done is they've taken our platform and they built some components 
around it that serve that market a little bit better. So when I think about what they're doing, that's pretty pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. If you just go to their site, you can you can see what they've done from a white labeling perspective and all the different components that they've added to it. I would say the other one that gets pretty innovative is venture employer services. So I was on a panel earlier with our leading a panel with Dan Thompson, the chief benefits officer earlier. And he's doing some really interesting things with direct primary care, with level-funded health insurance. And even many of your listeners might say, oh, we've tried that and we don't like it. Well, the question is, how do you start to productize some of those things, mm-hmm. make it easy for that business owner to sign up? Dan is starting to uh, starting to crack that code and figure out how you drive more volume while you reduce the overall cost of healthcare. Because that's really one of the challenges. Employers at the end of the day, like our mission is the same as our customers. That's the level of the playing field for that small business owner to compete against big businesses. It's to help Main Street. If we help Main Street, then you know that's a rising tide all the way around. But those healthcare costs are killing those small business owners. That is one of the, I mean, that's a cost that seems to go up by more than inflation every year. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. how do you keep those costs stable and even start to find some avenues to bring those costs down? down. Mm-hmm. Dan's been doing a great job of innovating innovating in that area for, for some time. That was part of his expertise to, to venture. And that's, you know, I'm looking forward to, to seeing some great things in what they're doing. In healthcare. That's super interesting. I got to make sure I connect with some data here at the, yeah, at the conference. Um, you know, Tim, if, if we would like, you know, do a quick thought experiment, right? And assume you are not, you know, at Prism HR, but you're the CEO of, of a PO. Right. You know, what what would you look at like from an opportunity and threat perspective, right, for the next five years in the market, right? What are the things to focus on to have on your radar? I think there's a couple things. I mean, the, the table stakes is there are always regulatory threats. So you always have to be on the on the lookout for that. How can you hedge against some of those, particularly using various technology components like maybe think HR for some regulatory items or or some of those other partners? I mean, there are a lot of good companies that can help you educate some of those things. I think if if I were the CEO of a PEO, I'd be going down the path of a niche industry to serve. Because when I look at the, the you know our customers that are out there that are serving niche industries, we have a handful that serve hospitality really, really well because they've integrated so many different things together. Fourth has done a great job of doing that. Fourth is owned by hot schedules. That's their market. That's who they serve. They've, they've done this really, really well. You have people lease who has a very high concentration in trucking. Well, that's a niche industry. We have another customer, a customer sat on our panel today, Tandem HR is starting to drive a bigger concentration in, I want to say, assisted living. So when you can get really specific about that, and then you have HR business partners that understand the needs of those, you know, those clients, those business owners, you're making that much deeper connection than just a surface level payroll benefit HR kind of thing. The other threats out there is you're starting to see these well-funded competitors do really well where they have a look and feel of a PEO, taking mm-hmm. income or velocity, mm-hmm. or even Rippling was in that business before they got into the PEO space, but there are more substitutes today than there ever have been. So typically, you know, 20 years ago, you're with ADP, you're with a local PEO, or you were doing payroll through your account. That was it. There weren't a lot of other other well-funded options, right? And paychecks was in the mix of ADP too. But now there are so many, I, I don't know how a small business owner makes a choice. Like no one, I don't think anyone ever wakes up and it's like, oh gosh, I need to find a, a payroll company today. I mean, if you just Google payroll company, you're going to get a list that's 9 million you know, companies, companies on. So I think 
the, the companies today that are going to be successful in the future, they're going to have to continue to broadly adopt and embrace technology to both automate and bring their customers a different experience. That, you know, I think we have to have more innovators that are thinking about that. You also have to automate more processes. I think that, you know, Rippling getting into the space is interesting, but Rippling automated both some of the HR processes, but they went a step further and started thinking about it as employment. Mm -hmm. And they automated even the, you know, getting you your computer and the logging processes and some of the IT. And so we as entrepreneurs in this space have to start thinking about what are the other processes that can be automated that are related to employment? And then what's next? And if we're not thinking about those things, you know, within our customer base, there's someone out there that is. So we're going to have to be diligent and really getting innovative into the into the future and understanding that and starting to chip away at how you do a job for a customer. How do you really start to automate those things and make it, you know, make the platform and, and everything you do easy to use. So I think that's, and, and that might even sound like something I probably would have said five years ago, but it's still true today. Mm -hmm. That's the thing about it. Like you still have to automate these things. You still have to be thinking about where those small business owners are, are going. The, the age of small business owners is getting younger. So that certainly means they're going to embrace more technology, more technology sure. than they ever have. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you see that with your, your own business. I, I, I mean, Absolutely. It, it's, just, it, it's just the nature of the, the beast, I suppose. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time today. You know, we could probably continue for another two hours here. <laughs> it, was, it was a pleasure and I think a lot of really, really good nuggets. If somebody wants to reach out to connect and, you know, with you, dive into those topics a little bit deeper, what, what's the best way to connect with you? I, I'd love to. And Andreas, thank you so much for having me on the, the podcast. It's always great to see you in person. I'm glad we're able to do this at, at Prism HR Live this year. I love talking about the PEO space and HR outsourcing, so I always love to have conversations around any of these topics. You can email me at tpratt, T-P-R-A-T-T-E, at prismhr.com, or you can find me at Tim Pratt on LinkedIn. And again, just love to connect with folks and really just love talking about these things. So I appreciate you, you having me and look forward to seeing you again. Awesome. Thanks again. This podcast is sponsored by ThrivePass, a trusted PO partner for employee benefits from pre-tax accounts to COBA administration. ThrivePass empowers employees to thrive through exceptional service and innovative technology. More at thrivepass.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at po-podcast.com to learn more. I'm Andreas Deptoller and this is a PEO podcast. We'll see you next time.